This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 225, Fantasy. I am Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, rating, and subscribing. Fantasies are, by definition, unspeakably wonderful and virtually unattainable. Living in a fantasy world can bring a smile to your face right now, but it's likely to end in something more like a nightmare. This week we will discuss the folly of seeking perfection in imperfect people, the field of dreams and what we will do to play there, one rocker's willingness to settle for a fantasy over the real thing, and the games we play with our children and why we should let them be a little scary. We'll start with what I've been preaching. She and he are a perfect fit. That job is a perfect fit for him. That church and that preacher, perfect fit. In my experience, perfect fit is a term used by people with an obstructed view. The people in the belly of the beast tend to prefer terms such as hard work, tolerance, patience, commitment, and the like. Perfect fit, to me at least, implies a relationship that succeeds simply because of the nature of the elements involved, something that pretty much can't go wrong. When you put an electric plug into an outlet, that's a perfect fit. Lego blocks are a perfect fit with other Legos. They were literally made to go together. There are no perfect fits when it comes to human relationships. None. I say that with the confidence I have when I say water is wet or the sun will come up in the east tomorrow. Human relationships are not perfect. They can't be because humans aren't perfect. Humans are works in progress from the moment they are conceived until the moment they pass from this life. There is no bigger fantasy in the world than happily ever after. I mean no disrespect to my wife, my parents, my in-laws, or anyone else blessed to be in a successful marriage. The fact is, though, all relationships come with challenges. The deeper the nature of the relationship, the deeper the challenge. It's like I always said when the girls were growing up, of seven billion people in the world, only three can make me lose my temper, and they all live in my house. I mean, seriously, what are the odds of that? When people pursue happily ever after, or the perfect fit, They find themselves disappointed in short order. And then they find themselves at a crossroads. They can maintain their current heading and make the most of a situation that was less perfect than they had imagined. Or they can take the detour that has suddenly presented itself, thinking that happily ever after is still available somewhere. Why do you think divorce rates are so high? Because people have an unreasonable standard of satisfaction. One or both, usually both, of the parties despair of finding the life to which they believe they are entitled, and they leave the marriage to look for that life somewhere else. That is why the absolute language of Matthew 19, 3-12 is so important. Jesus takes this option away from us. You think your marriage is substandard? That's unfortunate. Normal, as it turns out, but unfortunate. But since you are not permitted to separate what God has joined together, you are forced to stay the course. And if you and your spouse truly believe in marriage, in the Bible, and in one another, you eventually realize divorce would have been the worst possible response, and for multiple reasons. You come to truly love and value the wife or husband of your youth, as Solomon notes in Proverbs 5.18. You realize perfection is in the nature of the relationship, not in you and your spouse's implementation of that relationship. And the two of you cooperate in the quest for the true, happily ever after result, a heavenly home after this life is over. As it happens, all preachers are also human beings. 
and all churches are entirely composed of human beings. No perfect fits there either. Some preachers are looking for the perfect fit. They want a church with an established eldership, motivated deacons, a stable treasury, children of all ages, in the right state, the right size town, etc. One of two things is going to happen. Either they will never find such a church and spend the rest of their days dissatisfied, or they will find a place that seems to suit, realize in time that it doesn't, and then begin the search anew. Churches, in like manner, want a preacher with equal parts youthful vigor and wisdom of experience, the right pulpit presence, the right skills set, ideal children, and plenty of them, a wife beyond reproach who will put in 40 hours of her own time for the church except without pay. He must be respected by churches everywhere, yet not get any job offers. Most importantly, he must be absolutely practical and absolutely inoffensive. Tell us what we need to hear, but don't tell us we're anything less than perfect as we are. They, too, will find themselves disappointed. They will settle for someone in time. The members who were clamoring for chances to preach in the beginning will tire very quickly of it. But woe be to the preacher who buys a home in that neighborhood. He'll be putting it on the market in a few years. None of this is to say we shouldn't strive to be the best we can be in all our relationships, or that we shouldn't ask others to do the same. The point is, you've already met the only perfect one you will ever meet. His name is Jesus. In all the other relationships in your life, you're going to have to accept some level of imperfection. It's a lot more work dealing with imperfect people, but at least you aren't dooming yourself to failure from the get-go. And by being willing to bear with others in love, like Paul requires in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, you may wind up becoming a better person yourself. And that's a good thing, because truth be told, you're probably not the cat you think you are either. This is what I've been reading. I'm on the record saying the greatest sports film of all time is Chariots of Fire. I've already done one episode on Chariots of Fire, and spoiler alert, I read another Eric Little biography this year. You may get another dose of Chariots one day. We shall see. In any case, I'm aware I'm in the minority here. I suspect the winner in the popular vote, especially among people who don't especially like sports movies, would be Field of Dreams. Kevin Costner stars as Ray Kinsella, an Iowa farmer who followed the voice in his head and built a baseball diamond in the middle of his cornfield. If you build it, they will come, the voice said, and they did. The film is based on the novel Shoeless Joe by a writer named Ray Kinsella. Yes, Kevin Costner essentially plays the part of the author of the book. In the book, much like in the film, Kinsella travels all over the United States, ignoring his family and his financial obligations, going wherever the voice in his head told him to go eventually helping all sorts of people connect with some hidden part of their souls through the avenue of baseball. One of these people was Kinsella himself, who gets to play catch with his dead father in the end, as well as meeting the book's titular character, Shoeless Joe Jackson of the 1919 Chicago White Sox, the one who helped throw the World Series and was kicked out of baseball. The book is about finding your way to a state of contentment and joy through opening your mind to unorthodox and even dangerous ideas. But one idea that was far too dangerous for Kinsella to contemplate is religion. Repeatedly, the author mocks the idea of trusting in God, going where some invisible being in the sky says go, and doing what some invisible being in the sky says do. Strangely, though, when it comes to the voice in his head, no request is too weird, no failure is too discouraging, no outcome is too impossible. The book is a fantasy, and it should be read as such. 
I suspect Kinsella would react the same way I would if the events of his actual life went as described in the book, i.e. get to a psychiatrist too sweet. Still, the book means nothing if it's not a reflection of Kinsella's own perspective on life. Mocking the words of the Bible while dreaming of playing baseball with shoeless Joe Jackson, I have to say, that put me off. I understand the appeal of creating a fantasy world where everything is poetry. Strange events always carry a specific and understandable message. Following the impulse of your heart is always a good decision. But really, does it make more sense than simply reading the Bible and doing what it says? You're prepared to believe in the spirit realm, but you're not prepared to believe in God. Based on what? Your personal preferences? Your less-than-ideal experience with religion? I truly believe all of us crave some concept of existence greater than the life we experience with our five senses. And I believe some people will bridge any logical gap necessary to avoid connecting that feeling to God. But you cannot hope to find the same level of satisfaction in chasing your own visions as you will in listening to the voice of God. You know how flawed your own notions can be. The heart is deceitful above all things, we read in Jeremiah 17.9. Worse yet, Proverbs 14.12, There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. Solomon thought that saying was so important, he wrote it again in Proverbs 16.25. How many times has the sure thing you felt in your heart turned out to be a lie? More times than you can count, I would imagine. We're surrounded by people who seem to think they can follow the voice in their head, however ridiculous, selfish, or illegal it may be, and wind up in ideal circumstances. Well, I'll grant you, they may not absolutely destroy themselves or anyone else. Emphasis on might. But it is virtually impossible to wind up in a productive, fulfilling place that way. And it is absolutely impossible to find ideal circumstances. God has deliberately set it up that you must trust Him for that. Quit living in a fantasy world. Begin living in the realm of the Spirit, so that one day you can live in heaven. That fantasy can and will become a reality. God will see to it. This is what I've been hearing. I was all set to talk about mermaids in this space. Did you know Christopher Columbus reported seeing mermaids on his journey to the New World? Apparently they were really manatees, also known as sea cows. Have you ever seen a manatee? I can only assume Columbus was in serious need of eyeglasses. Anyway, I couldn't get the song Sometimes a Fantasy by Billy Joel out of my head. Typically I explore that sort of impulse, so I went to the internet to finally discover, after 30 years of hearing the song, what it actually was talking about. Turns out, it's talking about phone sex. If you're starting to worry how much proof I'm going to offer at this point, rest easy. I'll leave it to you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. But if you do, I think you'll find it to be pretty obvious, all three verses of it. Billy Joel is not opposed to an actual connection to an actual human being in the song. He's just willing to settle for less from time to time. It's just a fantasy. It's not the real thing. It's just a fantasy. It's not the real thing. Sometimes a fantasy is all you need. I don't care to get into the gritty details of long-distance relationships, marital coping mechanisms, fornication gray areas, and such like. I'll leave that to other podcasts. I want instead to back away from the specifics and talk generally about substituting imaginary ideal circumstances for inconvenient and unsatisfying realities. Is a fantasy really ever all you need? 
because I'm not sure it is. Maybe your fantasy is a date with the prom queen. Maybe it's being asked to play a solo at your band's concert. Maybe it's having your loudmouth, disrespectful children grow up to be rich enough to pay for your long-term care. But such things don't tend to happen by accident, not unless you find a magic lamp with a genie inside. I think you'll find much more satisfying results if you will take out the word fantasy and insert the word objective. Fantasy focuses only on results. Objective implies a course of action that may or may not produce results. The problem is the may or may not part. Uncertainty is annoying. You may chafe at the idea of investing a great deal of time and effort toward an objective, only to be disappointed in the end. Take the prom queen, for example. Maybe you get a good haircut, you buy some nice clothes, you act with kindness and respect toward her. Maybe you offer to help her with her homework. You put forward the absolute best version of yourself, and she still says no. Hey, it happens. Well, anyway, I heard it happens. Not that I would know. Or you tell the band director about your desire to play a solo. He may say you're not accomplished enough, so you start spending two hours a day practicing. Maybe you start taking private lessons. And after six months of applied effort, he still gives the solo to someone else. Again, not that I would know. No, your dream did not come true. But you're a better person because you made the effort. You've learned discipline, self-control, maybe with regard to the prom queen thing, some necessary lessons in hygiene. Had you contented yourself with a fantasy, you'd have spared yourself a lot of hassle, certainly. But you essentially would be assuring yourself of staying where you are. And that's not where you want to be. Having a fantasy about success, especially in spiritual areas, is not helpful. It's acknowledging your need without doing anything to address it. Paul describes his process in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 26 and 27. I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He could have said, I sit in my easy chair and fantasize about what a home in heaven would be like. Then I cross my fingers and hope somehow it drops into my lap. But he didn't. Success comes at a price. It's painful. It's troublesome. You have to say no to a lot of things other people say yes to. But at least Paul's process moves you toward the goal. Fantasizing just moves you toward the buffet line. Visualize success in Jesus. Then listen to him tell you how to achieve your objective. Then do what he tells you to do. Forget the fantasy. Sometimes a fantasy just gets in the way. This is what I've been playing. We've all heard the story about the three little pigs. Each one builds a house to get away from the big bad wolf. One builds his house out of straw, another of sticks. They're more interested in quick results and an early retirement plan than a solid structure. And when the wolf comes, he blows their houses down. In the G-rated versions of this story, the suddenly homeless pigs find shelter with their brother, who has built his house out of bricks. In earlier, grittier versions, well, they didn't quite make it that far. Anyway, the wolf is unable to blow down the house made out of bricks. Ultimately, he decides to climb down the chimney instead and finds a boiling pot of water waiting for him. Again, depending on the version you read, he either runs away with his tail between his legs or becomes the meal himself. The story provides the foundation for The Grim Forest, a board game our girls saw and absolutely had to have. 
In the game, you are responsible for building three houses. The first one to do so wins the game. Foundation, walls, and then the roof. It's easier to build the flimsier houses, but the stronger ones give you a better chance for success. Along the way, you have other fairy tale characters who can lend a hand. Pinocchio, Thumbelina, Tinkerbell, and a host of others. But through the entire process, the big bad wolf is lurking, trying to find an opportunity to swallow you up and let your opponent walk away with victory. It's a lot of fun for adults and children alike. I suppose children were just tougher in previous centuries, or else parents had a much higher tolerance for the sound of screaming in the middle of the night. In any case, we have lightened the mood considerably with regard to our fairy tales and fables. Maybe that's not such a bad thing, but we can't go too far with that. The world is a dangerous place. Children will find out sooner or later. Pretending it's not so is living in a fantasy world. The big bad wolf is real. Christians of all people should know that. It's all fine and good for an atheist to imagine that people are all good on the inside, that education and nutrition can turn the worst of humanity into healthy, functioning citizens ready to contribute toward the betterment of society. But if you believe the Bible, you know about evil. You know bad people will do bad things if you give them half a chance. Worse yet, the wolf will sometimes come in disguise. Jesus himself warns about that in Matthew 7.15. He wants to kill the sheep. So he will disguise himself as one of their own. But he isn't. He is fundamentally different. And if you look carefully enough, you'll notice it. Hopefully before too many sheep have died. It gets worse, I'm sorry to say. The big bad wolf is only a minion. A much greater force is out in the world, wreaking even more havoc than you can imagine. We read in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Sin is a serious matter. Hell is real. The devil is hungry. It's the height of folly to pretend the world we live in is anything other than what it truly is. I don't want to sound like it isn't full of wonderful, beautiful things. Anything that God made for us is glorious in its own way. But Satan is determined to turn God's creation against God's purposes, including and particularly capturing God's special creation, human beings, and turning us against him. So build your house out of bricks. Build it as quickly and as solidly as you can. Build it on the foundation of the words of Jesus Christ, as he himself advises in Matthew 7.24. Enlist as much help in your construction project as you can. If you find your house in shambles, seek help from your brethren who may have been building more effectively than you have been. And by all means, Remember this, when the wolf comes knocking, don't let him in, not by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the Hal Hammonds channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, signing off.